Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's why I taught myself how to draw. It was actually the Little Mermaid. Drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the car. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys, The First Steps. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. I am so glad to be part of the Rising Tide Broadcast Network. For those of you who listened last week, you got to hear the conversation that I had back at the very beginning of the Excelsior Journeys podcast with West Coast Swing dancer, instructor, event director, Doug Rozier. It was a terrific hour and a half conversation. I am so glad that I got to represent it to you. And this week I got to do it all over again, as you got get to hear a terrific conversation that I had with sports announcer, Mark Fratto. This one was really important to me because uh, Mark is someone that I have known all the way back in grade school. Uh, The two of us would always chat on the bus going to and from school from second grade to fifth grade when we uh, went to St. Mary's Catholic School in Poughkeepsie, New York. And since I left St. Mary's and since I left Poughkeepsie altogether to move down to Richmond, Virginia in 1988, Mark and I unfortunately lost contact, but... Thank you to social media. We were able to reconnect and I got to see everything that Mark has been doing. And wow, I was so, so impressed. And rightfully so. Uh, The man has built one hell of an empire with Lynn Acre Media. And now he's announced basketball games. He's announced NASCAR. He has announced the final four in NCAA. It is. uh, And he was a mainstay on in the HBO boxing ring. He got to stand in the middle of the ring at HBO boxing. And yeah, I'm really excited for you to hear episode two of the Excelsior journeys. This was part of the batch of three episodes that I recorded, um, before releasing all three of them at once, which is something that I highly recommend to anyone who is getting into podcasting do. So that way listeners are, familiar with how you get to present uh, present your show. They know what to expect, and they know that you're not going to be a flash in the pan, that you're not just going to do one episode and then fade away. So I really hope you enjoy this episode as we converse with sports announcer Mark Fratto, Ever Upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. Again, so glad that you guys could be here. I have to give a whole lot of credit to Facebook. I know that a lot of people like to kind of beat up on it, but I will go ahead and give credit where it's due because without Facebook, without social media, I wouldn't have reconnected with so many people that I've known through all my different walks of life, especially someone that that goes all the way back to grade school. And this I'm talking about during my time from uh, second grade through fifth grade when I was in St. Mary's Catholic School in in Wappingers Falls, New York. 
one of my constant bus ride friends was Mark Fratto. And we were always, always chatting, always really good friends and everything during that period of time. When I switched schools and eventually moved to Richmond, that's when we lost touch with each other. But like I said, thanks to the magic of social media and especially Facebook, we've been able to reconnect. And not only were we able to reconnect, but I was able to see what Mark has been up to. And it turns out that a big part of what he's been doing is something that I had been had considered a dream of mine for almost my entire life. He was doing voiceover work. And not only has he gone on to thrive with the voiceover work, but he's also gone on to, to do in-arena announcing for various sports. And you may have seen him on HBO Boxing as one of as one of the ring announcers. So it is my great pleasure to introduce to you during this uh, this great uh, three-parter launch day. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Mark Fratto. Mark, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, George. I'm feeling great here in New York City tonight, and I'm honored to help you launch your channel here and your your podcast, Excelsior Journeys. After all these years, you and I got to reconnect in New York while you guys were still living here, and, and I'm still here, of course, and then now we're able to do this together. So it's been a long Long time since those rides to St. Mary's, Wapner's Falls Elementary School, but I'm happy to see you. Also, sad week a little bit for HBO Boxing. HBO announced that it's going to get out of the boxing business and concentrate more on its uh, more profitable ventures like series and, and the different programming that it has outside of boxing. So besides... That's, and that's such a HBO shame, boxing, such a shame uh, too, like considering like all of the, all the great matches that has been on HBO Boxing throughout, all, throughout the years. Yeah, a lot of people, they'll, they'll go back to some Ali fights and, and the Ward-Gotti trilogy and Tyson through the, the 80s and 90s and, and others. I've been fortunate to be on HBO, HBO Latino, and certainly part of some undercards for some big HBO pay-per-views where Michael Buffer would announce the main events, and, and those have been fun. But but for us, the future is now, and the future is for my company and I, social media, for sure. We're doing a, a Facebook series with Facebook and Everlast as our partners for mm-hmm. boxing and MMA. And I do a number of ESPN fights uh, month to month and, and year to year for Golden Boy Promotions and others. We do some CBS Sports Network boxing. And I venture over to the Showtime side and do some some Showbox and, and some Showtime Championship boxing as well and have a great time doing that. Boxing is relatively new as, as a, one of our business verticals for, for my company, but we're having a good time with it. But since you mentioned HBO Boxing, I had to give a little little requiem for for HBO given the week that we're recording this. It really is. And, and uh, I, I remember, not only do, do I remember a lot of those fights, but I also remember the great Legendary Knights series with, uh, I think it was Leif Schreiber doing the, doing the narrating for that. It would be great if they had brought that back as well. Like, as you were saying that HBO is going to be planning on doing all these different sports, you know, documentaries as well, which obviously that's a, gr- that's a great thing. But like, I, I would love them to bring back Legendary Knights and, who knows? Like, may, like if if you had a chance to take over for Liev and everything, and maybe do something like that, that would be really cool. Well, he he gets the benefit more so than I do, but 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 somewhat of, of being able to kind of work with both sides of the aisle there. So he, of course, has the great Ray Donovan series on Showtime, but he's also the voice of so many HBO sports programs, including the twenty four seven series, which would always preview the mega events 
that HBO would have coming down the pipe. Canelo Golovkin or just all, all the great uh, of late. Golovkin, but all the great big fights, the pay-per-views, Liev Shriver was able to still make those Ray Donovan checks, but also get those HBO checks. So absolutely, there's there's a lot of benefit there. A lot of benefit. A lot of Americans could learn from right now. Your nose to spite your face, or why limit yourself, or burn a bridge when you don't have to. That's that's a great point. Now you said before that uh, you were working for Golden Boy. That's um, Oscar De La Hoya, right? Yeah, that's Oscar De La Hoya's company. Oscar's the he's the owner and president, and then. There's several layers. So I've been fortunate enough to do probably 20 something of their events over the past three, which has been a good time. This podcast will, I think, maybe launch after my next two events in California. I have one next week in Orange County and then one in a couple of weeks in, in Indio at Fantasy Springs where they have, they have a lot of their fights. Those are ESPN fights. But like a lot of promoters, they've gone different directions looking for different outlets and different revenue sources for their content, a showcase for their athletes. So they've started a Facebook series. They actually have a Facebook fight tomorrow night. Their third of five five card series with Facebook, them and another promoter from New Jersey main events partnering on our fight night live series, kind of uh, at a slightly lower level, kind of like a, maybe a single A, double A, maybe a little bit of triple A, not quite the majors. Right. Uh, we've done 19 fights with Facebook so far. We're looking forward to, to our second season of 24. That's awesome. Uh, which is which is great. I mean, to see a platform like Facebook value the last true reality content, which is live sports. You know, right. The, the last real reality shows are live sports because even reality shows are scripted, and, and uh, we know they're heavy on drama. But that's because they're being produced. And told exactly. Them. Yeah. Yeah. You don't really get that sort of that sort of attention to storylines like with boxing and everything. It's all just yeah. very. You don't get the extemporaneous knockouts with Snooky, you know. But that's, it's pri- that's but it's primal, so. like it's it's just gets you right right in the gut. Like whenever when you're watching a great match, and like anyone anyone worth their salt, like watching like say like Hagler Hearns, like from '85, and like that's something like that, like that would just like get anyone up and up and cheering. Yeah, that it would take a hell of a Jersey Shore reunion or keeping up with the Kardashians show to make you feel <laughs> the way that you. You feel when you watch a Hagler Hearns or a Ward Gotti or any of Tyson's great fights or you know, oh, yeah. I don't want to make your audience feel like I'm one dimensional. You know, no, in fact, uh, that's actually um, something I wanted to before we go back to kind of go back to the time when you were really just getting getting started with all this. You had mentioned your company. Now, that is uh, Lineker Media, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Lineker Media, it's uh, four years old at this point. We do a whole lot of TV production. We're involved with a lot of live events beyond just the production. Myself as a live sports announcer in stadiums and, and with a staff of uh, of similar, similar minded, similar voice announcers. There's the voiceover aspect that you touched on or where we do some of that. And then I have a 15 year career rooted in college athletics, PR, marketing at University of Maryland, at St. John's University, West Point, and SUNY Geneseo State University of New York, which is where I went to school. So we maintain some some PR clients as well, especially during March Madness. I'm at the Final Four, helping with the media operation. This will be my 11th or 12th one this year, which is awesome. And then at Thanksgiving time, Thanksgiving in Brooklyn at Barclays Center with the the NIT season tip-off. We have Kansas coming in this year. We have Marquette. We have Louisville, and we definitely have another school. Tennessee is the other one. So uh, I only have to remember four, right? So right. Be <laughs> so we got we got some you know some great schools coming in to enjoy the Thanksgiving Day Parade and eat oh, some turkey in, in Brooklyn for Thanksgiving uh, this fall. That is incredible, man. That is so that is 
just so awesome. Just to hear, like knowing, knowing that you found this passion and then you were able to not only nurture it, but thrive with it in such a great way. That's, it's something that I think, and I'm fairly sure that I can speak for my, for my audience is going to be incredibly inspiring to them too. Just, you gotta just keep, keep at it. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and just uh, take a little trip back and let us know where did this inspiration come from? What was it that made you look over at, at voiceover work and, and sports announcing and everything and just point to and just like that right there, that's what I want to do. That's the path I want to be on. Well, I always loved sports and I started out like a lot of like a lot of young youngsters as a ball player. I was a baseball player. We played basketball, we played tennis, we played I was the world's worst soccer player, so no soccer, <laughs> although I'm a soccer announcer now at Yankee Stadium, which is cool. Right. Uh, and no football. That was Eileen Fratto of Twenty Wildwood Drives preference. <laughs> um, definitely baseball, basketball, and some tennis. And later on, we all got into golf. My brothers and I, my middle brother is actually the best golfer in the family, maybe my dad. But there comes a time for every athlete, and I use that term very loosely when it comes to me, <laughs> uh, you have to stop playing. But either they, they, you decide or somebody tells you you're done. So, I mean, that's true of every athlete that's ever played any sport at any time. So, mm-hmm. uh, when I got to when I got to high school, I was told by my baseball teammates who were on the basketball team that my basketball career was over huh. and I should contribute to the team and to our school spirit at Our Lady of Lords in Poughkeepsie by becoming the basketball announcer. And they oh, told wow. me that they wanted me to introduce them like uh, Michael Jordan's introductions by an announcer called Ray Clay in the old Chicago stadium. So did they have the, uh, they have the, uh, what was it? Emerson, Lincoln Palmer. That was the Alan Parsons project. Yeah, Alan Parsons. It was it. serious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We still do that at, at the Brooklyn Cyclones. Sometimes we still do that in New York city FC. Sometimes when we need a big hit or we need a big, big moment, big opportunity or whatever. So, so we do some of that, but even awesome. going back to our days, George, if you remember at St. Mary's, we always had those first Friday masses. Oh yeah. Kind of first month of the year was the eighth grade. And then all the way on down to the first grade, whenever you got, Eight months and just and uh, just just as a real quick thing, the uh, sure. big reason why those the first Friday masses are remembered so fondly with us with any uh, St. Mary's alum is that the, it's it sounds like it's what it is. It was the first Friday mass, and we got out early, and so like I, I would say like we got out what like twelve thirty sometimes. It really kind of depended on if Father Hickey was leading the mass because. He had he had this gift of getting through masses so quickly and so efficiently, and yet like you weren't you didn't feel like like you like anything had been skipped over or anything like that. I mean, sure he would shorten his homily quite a bit, but but at the same time he got he got you in and out really quickly. And when you're when you're a student, especially at the age range that we were, that was it was a nice bonus. Father Hickey could cook. He was, yeah. he got it done. He got it. Yeah. And I remember as my, my altar boy career, he was also, you know, he was a perfectionist when it came to the mass. He didn't like us rushing around on the altar. Although mm-hmm. he, he would, uh, maybe father, I never heard father Hickey uh, quote John Wooden, but maybe he would say, be quick, but don't hurry. That was kind of his mantra when it comes to, when it came to the mass. But nice. when, when we all had our first Friday assignments, I, I was always picked as the reader. So I used to have to go over, practice the reading with Sister Vincent, who was the, the, the kindly senior member of the Sisters of Charity of the Nun Squad at St. Mary's Wappingers Falls there. So wow. she used to take us over. We would practice the reading. So I got used to the microphone early. And then 
I'm not going to say like I had like a gift for it or talent for it, but I certainly had the aptitude for it and the familiarity from all those first Friday masses all the way through. Yeah, it seemed so, like they it seemed like they were they had a. And that's also the same thing with with migrate as well. Because I remember before first communion, I remember Bill Hald did the first reading, and then I was tagged to do the second reading, and it just seemed to be like they just kind of always came around to us the same way that, that they did with you. Yeah, I kind of, we took the departure from the, the lecturing toward altar boyhood a little later on at St. Mary's because we'd get, um, when we served masses and funerals, it was your chance to make a little bit of cash. And also, again, it was during the school day. So if you didn't particularly want to be in history or science or whatever on that day, then <laughs> you, could, you could jump out for a little bit. And of course, celebrate with the couple or grieve with the family, but also make a little bit of cash and get out of school for a little bit. So huh. we did that. And then, then like I said, when I, I got to Lourdes, my basketball teammates, and then the Monsignor, who's now the, I think he's still the pastor at St. Mary's, said, okay, your basketball career and your altar boy career are ending right now. You're going to be our reader. You're going to do the morning announcements. You're going to announce the basketball games oh, and wow. all that. So that's what I did. And then when I, when I went on to uh, SUNY Geneseo, Division three athletics program, I decided that, you know, I wanted my student job to be as the sports announcer. I didn't want to sling mashed potatoes in the cafeteria or macaroni and cheese. I probably would have eaten most of it anyway, but then that, that's what I wanted to do. So I went down to the athletic offices on the second day of school with my roommate who was on the track team. He was looking for his coach and I found an office that I would work in that and similar for the next 19 years of my life. The sports information office, the media relations office or communications office, basically you're in charge of communications or PR for all the athletic teams and coaches and athletic programs and all that, all the announcing, all the stats, all the multimedia, now all the social media, all the traditional media relations, et cetera, et cetera. So I got involved in that as an undergrad. I turned my biology pre-med major into a communications major, which took some convincing on the home front. When I came home for my first summer, I started interning for teams like the Hudson Valley Renegades, and I wanted to get Division One college athletics experience. So I, I was an intern for Army athletics at West Point every summer, sophomore, junior, and senior years. Worked for the Renegades for a couple of years. I announced for the New Haven Ravens when I was a junior in my 21-year-old summer, which was a fun one in New Haven, Connecticut. Wow. And then uh, by the time I finished up at Geneseo, I had three summers at Army. I had four summers of minor league baseball. I had four years of announcing Division Three, And I was fortunate to go on and get a graduate assistantship at the University of Maryland, where they put me to work right away while I was doing my graduate coursework. I was the sports information director for the softball team, then the field hockey team, then the field hockey and baseball teams. And then I started eventually traveling on the road and assisting with men's basketball. I was very fortunate to be there at a time where we went to two Final Fours in 2001 and 2002. We won the national championship and cut the nets down in 2002 and nice. won ACC by beating a very good Duke team in 2004. So I had a great time at Maryland. It was it was really a transformative experience in my life professionally. Led me to a spot at St. John's as Senior Associate Athletic Director at 28. Wow. Uh, I was the only one in the country. I used to say I was the only one in the country with black hair. <laughs> <laughs> That was, uh, that was a pretty good distinction. But at St. John's, I get to oversee a staff. We get to run communications for 17 sports, played a lot of our men's basketball games at Madison Square Garden, had really good women's basketball, baseball, and soccer. And I realized that it was going to be really, really hard to get those athletes and coaches their due in the New York Times and the New York Post and the Daily News and, you know, Newsday and those, those top 
five national newspapers that covered our teams and that we were going to have to take things kind of to the digital street and do a lot of things ourselves to get the word out about those great teams and those great athletes and coaches and all the initiatives and the community service and the charity work that we were doing at St. John's. So we beefed up our website with written content. Then we beefed it up with photo content. Then we started doing live audio broadcasts and audio streams just like this for a lot of the different games. And then eventually we started doing one camera video streaming, then three cameras, then we upgraded to HD. And then we started doing games so well over the course of the time that we were there, we built a TV truck on campus. We enveloped our academic component by getting a professor on board to teach a class in, in remote production where they would have an academic component and then they pretty much give us uh, labor for yeah for spring and, and for fall and spring semesters to kind of help our, our workforce. We bring in some professional freelancers, combine them with students, and then we got to the point where we were good enough to be selling 85 games a year back to ESPN. And they'd be cutting us a check for the content. So I thought, radical concept here. We should privatize it. And after St. John's, Lineker Media was born. And we took the model to the street there. And we still do some production for college, colleges and universities and a lot of college campus or college conferences and Division One athletics, Division Two athletics, Division Three athletics conferences. We do some championships and stuff like that. But now our model that we built at St. John's which was used by us for about 85 games a year at first. And then Florida State, North Carolina, and Clemson were kind of like on the forefront as well in the 30s, 30 or so, 35 right. games a year. We, we pioneered that. Now, every college and university all across the country, all the D1s and some of the D2s and a lot of the D3s and some of the junior colleges, they're using variations of that model that we created at St. John's to – broadcast all their sports to all their different constituents, their alumni groups, their parents you know, of, of athletes, just general sports fans, and anybody that supports the university. Now they everybody has that vehicle at their disposal. And it was something that we kind of created at St. John's because I had a little bit more time because our basketball team wasn't as good and didn't keep me as busy as the Maryland Terrapins when we were going to those final fours. So that is Man, that's, that's awesome. Like, that's, uh, that's the three-minute version of how Lineker Media was formed and forged and, and where we're at today. Now, you notice, like I said, I've said, wow, quite a few times. I, like, there, I really just am blown away by how you were able to make all of this happen. Like, this is, this is just incredible. Like, the way that you were able to take that and then just keep going step by step by step, almost like seeing what you're going to need like right ahead of time and everything and, and being ready for it. Uh, well, it's just, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you noticed the steps, George, because sometimes when I talk to young, I make it a policy that any young person that gets in touch with me, they're, they're going to get an email back. And usually they're going to get a phone call because I'm in the car a lot <laughs> going right. to event. Yeah. You know, uh, when, when you and I first started talking about this, we tried to arrange it some time for us to spend on the phone while I was driving to NASCAR at Pocono Raceway. Which we will um, be talking about as well. So yeah, yeah. We, yeah we we can talk about that too. But because <laughs> I'm in the car so much, I try to. I had I've had great mentors, Geneseo, Army, every step along of Maryland, obviously, and now every step along the way, I've had great mentors. So I try to do the same for young people and for young students. And something that you picked up on there was that there there are steps. It's kind of one thing leads to the next, the next thing leads to the next. You you go through. There's no shortcut. You kind of go through 
you're, you, you have your experiences, good and bad, professionally, personally. It helps shape your perspective. It helps give you an understanding of what different people or different clients or different organizations are going to need. Right. And then you kind of take that next step and you just, you kind of do what you're doing and then extend and do it a little bit better or do it more, you know, or, or be more proficient with it or, or whatever. There's a lot of people, and I hope that if there's young people listening to this, there's a lot of people that give advice to the, the current generation students or the people that have just graduated. And they say like, follow your dreams, follow your passion and, and you'll never go wrong. I think that's a little bit incomplete. I think it's good advice in a kind of abstract way or a broad sense, but it's kind right. of incomplete. Like it, it, it's kind of like you have to not just look at, at the thing that's, that's maybe 25 or 50 steps away. You got to figure out how you're going to take those first couple steps because they're going to lead you to the next couple steps and they're going to lead you to, to, to the couple after that. Exactly. Um, yeah. You have to have the faith. You have to have the belief. You have to have the broad base of knowledge and you got to sharpen your skills and develop your tools along the way. But it's, it's step by step by step by step. It's not just following your dreams. It's figuring out what the next steps are, you know, that, that are going to help you in a concrete and practical way. You know, take those steps and then make, get to that spot way down the road. And, and it takes work. It takes, it takes some focus and concentration. It takes determination. It takes to fail. And then trying to minimize the same mistakes that led you to fail when you get that next crack at it. It, it, it takes all those things, but it's, it's not just, there's no magic wand. It's not going to magically happen. And it, it's, and, and it's going to feel like work. I mean, even the, the coolest jobs that I do that I think are really cool and I think are really fun. There's a lot of work that goes into all those things. So I think, I think young people that are just looking to follow their passions or follow their dreams, once they figure out that it feels like work and that it's hard, they may get discouraged and they may say, well, this isn't for me because it's not fun all the time. I think right. that's a mistake. I, I, I think you got to dig in there deep and, and you got to, you got to keep at it. And, and you can't make the mistake of thinking if it feels like work, it's not what my true goal is. It's not what my true passion is because work is work. It always no matter what job you're doing, work is work. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I am so glad that you've been like one of, that you're one of my first three guests because that's exactly what this show really is all about. It's about like who you are when you are taking those steps. I mean, like, yes, you are run, founded this company. And yes, it is doing very well. But at the same time, you're not just sitting on it. You're not just going like, all right, everybody else do what you got to do and everything. I'm just going to go ahead and put my feet up and start rolling in the profits. You're like, that's not what you're doing at all. Like you are constantly, like you said, you're always in the car. You are going from place to place. You're always going out there. You're getting word out more and more and more about what it is that you're doing. And that's exactly why I wanted to bring you in to this show because you are a perfect example of what an Excelsior journey is all about. Because, I mean, just like the name itself, like Excelsior, Excelsior, the word itself means onward and upward to greater glory. And, you know, that means that you are constantly moving to better yourself, better everything around you. And that's exactly what it is that, that you're doing, what Lynn Acre Media is doing. And, that's that's re that really is what gets me, and I know exactly what you mean regarding regarding work because just a few months ago was when I put the finishing touches on my latest book, Ever Upward, which is part two of the Excelsior journey. And the um, and yeah, I mean, I will I will definitely not be the first to say just how much of a pain rewriting is, how much of a pain editing is, but it's so necessary because you are just 
you're going to kick yourself if you don't do these necessary steps. If you don't do that work that you were that you were talking about. If you just if I just quit because it was getting hard, then that book would never see the light of day. It's the same thing as every every project that you're doing and everything that you are encouraging to all of the up and comers, like to to not take this lightly, to be serious about it and be prepared to do a lot of work. Like that's something that people really need to hear. Yeah, work can be fun. I mean, for me, work is fun, but it's but it, it's definitely work. It's not it's not eating ice cream. It's not it's not riding a roller coaster. It's it's not having a beer and cheering for the Yankees, unless I'm getting paid to do that at that particular moment. Right. Um, you know, work work is work. There's there's something different there. I think there's a lot of Instagram philosophers and social media CEOs that that want to be the boss without realizing that being the boss is. It's also being the janitor. It's also being the custodian. It's cleaning up all the messes. Sometimes yeah. you make the mess. Sometimes somebody else makes the mess, but it's your job to clean it up. Some people want to be an Instagram CEO and have all the glory and not have to deal with like the banking and the taxes and all the paperwork that you have to fill out when, when, you're, when you're employing people. Some people see your example of, of being a book author and think that it's about wearing, wearing a, an ascot and a jacket with elbow patches and drinking wine and you know, stuff like that. Mind you, I like wine, you know, like, but you know, still. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't see that you have to go through all those rewrites and that you have to edit. And sometimes you got to take the time to edit carefully. And then sometimes you got to put it down, walk away from it, come back to it tomorrow, or just to make sure that you're being thorough enough and detailed enough that your mind's not wandering. Those Not a lot of people see that sort of thing. Some people it's kind of funny. I posted a, a voiceover job. It wasn't particularly high paying and it wasn't particularly interesting, but it was a paying voiceover job. And right. I needed 50 people to get it done. And I probably got responses from 400. Wow. And what at, at the end of the day, you know, all these 400 people said they were in, say they wanted to do it. I would like to get paid just, just for reading or just for the use of my voice or just for whatever. That That's the common response. I was one of those 400 too. Like, and unfortunately I wound up not being able to do it, but right, uh, for, for, I was interested. For, you know. there, there's a lot of different reasons, legitimate and otherwise, but, but four, 400 divided by 50 is, I mean, you don't, you don't get to the hall of fame with those kind of, hmm. with that kind of actual return. Right. I mean, like you don't, we got the project on, it took some poking and prodding and, like I said, it wasn't a particularly interesting project, but it was a paying one. It was it was one that was a bit of a pain in the butt, and you had to grind it out and get it done and get a check, and that's what we did, and that's you know, and everybody got paid. But uh, a lot of people don't see that. A lot of people think everything everything's glamorous and glorious, and they don't understand that it's, you got to roll your sleeves up like any other job and get in there and and get it done. Absolutely, absolutely. Execution so. is execution is the most important part. Right. <laughs> So the, so you're doing the, to rewind just a little bit, like you're doing the St. John's games, like, and you're doing those at Madison Square Garden, correct? I was during my time at St. John's for sure. So like what's, so tell us about that moment. Like you are, you, you are literally in the world's most famous arena and you get to get behind the mic in the booth. So that's, that's another, that's about getting ready and and staying ready and being ready when the moment arrives. So the first time that I announced at Madison Square Garden was that it was an emergency. It was out of necessity. I think a lot of people have stories like this. So I was in the back getting ready to do, getting ready for, it was the 2K Sports Classic at the Garden. The four teams were Maryland, my former school, St. John's, my current school, Texas, 
with Kevin Durant as a freshman. Mm-hmm. It was the only year he played college basketball. Oh wow! And Michigan State, which was a it was a the Drew Neitzel, one of the Drew Knights of Michigan State. So I'm in the back on the second day of the tournament. We had we had lost to Maryland, and we were going to play Texas in the consolation game. And then Maryland was going to play Michigan State in the championship game. And I'm in the back about 10 minutes before tip off, and I walk out to my spot to check on the scorers table and get ready and sit in my seat next to the bench and and do the media relations stuff during the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I'm walking out, I see the PA announcer with like his kind of his hands up motioning to his throat. And the person that supervises them at Madison Square Garden has been there forever and ever. Josephine Trina says to me in her thick Staten Island accent, Kenny can't go tonight. You're going to have to step in. You always <laughs> talk about how you can do this. Can you really do this? So that is spot on, Josephine, if anybody knows. She's an amazing, amazing woman, an institution at Madison Square Garden. So I barely had time to think about it. She was like, sit down. You got to go in 10 seconds. So I grabbed one of my assistants, Dustin. And I said, Dustin, you got to do my job during the game today, which, of course, he was ready for with no problem. Right. Um, so he's down the end of the bench, and I wheeled around in the chair and said, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. Oh, and I got chills from that. No, was, like that's just that right there. Yeah, it was off and running. So the first game that I announced was actually St. John's against Texas at the Garden. The place was packed for the uh, one of those early season tournaments. We end Kevin Durant hung 37 points on us, and mm-hmm. we end up losing. We had an Anthony Mason's son, Anthony Mason Jr., had a shot at the buzzer that would have upended Texas and uh, just hit off the iron and, and was out. And one of my mentors, Gary Williams, is a Hall of Fame basketball coach at Maryland. He's got a reputation for being really, really tough, and he was tough, challenged us every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Gary and I have had a really great relationship for many, many years now. I still talk to him every couple of weeks. He comes out of the locker room while I'm announcing the game. He's going to play Michigan State in the championship. He comes out while I'm announcing – Maryland, Michigan, Maryland and, and Texas. And he taps me on the shoulder and he goes, what are you doing? Yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh, coach, the, the announcer got hurt. He has laryngitis or whatever. Can't go. So I'm doing the game. He goes, Mark, you're announcing at Madison Square Garden right now. And I said, yeah. And I said, coach, what are you doing outside the locker room? Because he never came out early. He always came out like two minutes before the, the buzzer because he was kind of getting ready for the game and yeah. kind, of, kind of calm his nerves. So he came out. It was, it was like a proud, um, proud dad moment for oh. coach Williams, you know, coming out and seeing one of his guys doing something, you know, that, that he knew that we could do the entire time, but, but never expected that sort of thing. And then Maryland beat Michigan state in the championship. So I was, I was super happy. It was a great day. It was unbelievable. And then now I've been an announcer at Madison Square Garden for like 14 years, doing different events, doing boxing, doing some basketball. I've done one Knicks game, Knicks versus Sixers a couple of Easter's ago. Oh, wow. uh, I work for the Westchester Knicks regularly, the G League team, not at the Garden, but at the Westchester County Center. So right. I'm, I'm involved with the Knicks. I mean, whatever. If somebody gets hurt or injured or whatever on the announcing side of the stadium, same thing for the Giants. I did a, recently did my first Giants game at MetLife Stadium. Now, uh, that is that is something, as soon as you said that, when uh, you made the announcement that you were doing that back in August for the, it was Giants-Browns, right? The preseason game? Yeah, that was Saquon Barkley's debut. It was Eli's return, and it was Baker Mayfield's debut, and HBO Hard Knocks was there. So it wasn't just a conventional against a four-win team or whatever right. from the 
the season before. And, and that was a good time. And I was a little nerve wracking because my wife, Kristen, was two days from our due date at that point. So Never a dull moment, right? <laughs> part of part of my deal with the Giants, I said, listen, we got to be able to park. I said, Kristen has to come because I'll be a wreck if she's home and, and I'm over. I'm with you guys. Yeah. And we got to, you I had been in their, their booth before to learn from, from the great Jim Hall who took over for Bob Shepard. Right. Um, and passed away a couple of years ago. And the great Gordon Deal, who's their current announcer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does the Giants and he does Army football and he's fantastic. Really? So he does Army. I needed to learn. And so I sat in there. So I knew that there was room for Kristen to come and sit. And I said, we need a real close parking space to the stadium just in case. Mm-hmm. And maybe a state trooper back through the Lincoln Tunnel to NYU just in case we need it. Right. Uh, I'm not going to say that they complied with all of my requests, but uh, <laughs> but they hit most of them. And, and my son wasn't born for two weeks after that anyway, oh, much to his mother's chagrin. But If you weren't ready, if you weren't prepared like that, then it's very likely something was going to happen. That's just the way... Just the way things go. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's the way we go. And that's, as I'm getting to know my son over the past five weeks, that's the expect the unexpected is, has been the theme. So we're having a good I, time. As a, as a father of a, of a new daughter and everything. Yeah. I can definitely say expect the unexpected. It's been quite a, quite a chore just to, you know, get our schedules locked up in some way that we can actually have this interview. So two new fathers, like we, we figured it out, but we finally made it happen. So tell yeah, us. I, just as an aside, I have an absolute, I've been a teamwork guy. Sports has taught me teamwork from, from when I was really, really, you know, really, really little, really, really young all yeah. the way through to now. And I can tell you that parenting, at least for the first five weeks of it, is all about teamwork. And I have an incredible, incredible best teammate I've ever had. And my wife, Kristen, she's a superstar. She's unbelievable. She's a, she's a great, she's been, uh, she was a great, great girlfriend, great fiance, amazing wife, and just incredible mother. And she's, she's been awesome. Best teammate. She's, she's outstanding. And, and I'll easily uh, say the same for Cheryl. She is, it's been 11, this November will be 11 years that we've been married. And it's been just an amazing ride, and she is uh, she has been the best possible partner that I could uh, that I could ask for, and yeah. she is she is just an absolutely incredible mother. You can just tell that she was she was she was born she was born to do this. Like she was, and a huge shout out to my to my mother in law Patty because without her assistance and with her. Constantly, like keeping watch over Scarlett and everything while we're at work. I honestly don't know what we would have what what we would have done. So yeah, you you got a great team. I got a great team, and uh, and we got some uh, we got some terrific kids that we're that we're bringing up into this world. So I'm really hoping that once they once they get a little bit older, they'll be able to listen to a show like this and get uh, start getting their dreams in order. Start figuring out what what they eventually would like to would like to conquer in the in the world we're what do you call it? we're 11 and or 10 and a half years away from 11 years but, but yeah. uh, we're, we're on our way we're having a good time exactly exactly and uh, so so yeah so you were talking about uh, you're talking about MetLife Stadium and everything like what what how did you come across uh, getting that kind of a gig I mean it's it's preseason but at the same time it's NFL and that's you want to talk about main event level right there yeah, and I, I've been really fortunate. I'll be honest, I've worked really hard, but of course there's there's a great deal of good fortune that has to be involved in 
in anybody's journey, no matter where they're at. And you, you, you keep climbing and you keep striving, you keep grinding and you keep going. But so I've, I've been fortunate enough to announce at Yankee Stadium. I do soccer there for our MLS team, New York City Football Club. I've announced at Madison Square Garden, obviously just a number of times, college basketball, pro basketball, boxing. And some other special events, not the dog show or anything like that yet. But, right. You know, some, sometime, someday. And, and I've, I've announced at City Field, um, I've announced at Barclays Center and now at MetLife Stadium. So I think I've hit all the major never. And oh, and I did world team tennis once over at the tennis center, not Arthur Ashe Stadium, but, but, but I've been over that way. So nice. a lot of the major venues in New York, I've, I've managed to, to hit for the cycle and I've been very, very fortunate, but. It's all it's all about the hard work and it's all about relationships and, and, and sometimes being in the right place at the right time. So the Giants director of video production sees, oversees all of their event presentation as well. So same person that oversees their radio broadcast, same person that oversees their the, the Giants own television broadcast, which the NFL owns a lot of it, but in the preseason and on the web and yeah. pregame, halftime, postgame social media programming, anything digital. As a man named Don Sperling, and he's been a friend and colleague for a long time. The St. John's guy that I met, we got closer, I think, through the St. John's experience, bringing those guys over to talk to some of our, our student athletes. And then, of course, having them as our guests at games and stuff. But where Don and I met each other was we had some, we were using similar technologies. We were building out our TV and streaming platforms, him for the Giants and me at St. John's. So we spoke on some panels at the National Association of Broadcasters Convention a couple times. Knew each other through then. Uh, this is something else for young people. Networking is not like emailing your resume or connecting on LinkedIn or or uh, going to cocktail parties and getting completely bombed and not remembering anything. Right. Making, making a, uh, that kind of impression on people that you, that you meet. Although there are aspects of all of those things that have to do with networking. But uh, yeah, I mean, Don and I, we met because we were speaking on the same panel. Uh, at NAB, we stayed in touch. I mean, the staying in touch thing is, is key. I mean, and you can't force it, but it's got to be something that kind of comes naturally. But we've been in touch for all these years. We've worked together on all these years. We've seen, he's seen, I, I've seen his family grow up on Facebook and, and in real life. And then he's certainly seen Chris and I getting together and getting married and then the, the arrival, the buildup and the arrival to, uh, young Jackson Lewis over here. So, I mean, that's, that's networking. I mean, that's, that's the way it's, it's easier than ever to network, but you got to make sure that there's, there's some real life to it too. It's not just the, your resume and my resume are friends on LinkedIn. It's not, again, it's not doing four tequila shots. Like it's a college reunion. It's, it's not, it's not the type of thing that you got to do. You got to, got to figure out how to network and figure out who's going to, Who's gonna, who are you gonna work with? And, and during your work experience professionally, it's gonna recommend you to that next person. It's gonna recommend you to that next level. And that's the sort of thing that happened. I did a, did a couple of college games at St. John, at the Garden for St. John's. And then that led me to Yankee Stadium. That led me to MetLife Stadium. That led me to, to boxing it at the Garden in the big room. It's, uh, it's led to, to every other opportunity. Again, it's been a stepwise process, not a, Man, I can't wait to be the Yankees announcer someday. It's been, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do that. Now I'm the soccer announcer at Yankee Stadium and maybe someday the Yankees. Never know. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's so cool. As, as soon as I saw that you were doing that, I was just, I, I, I was freaking out and I was just like, okay, we definitely need to, t need to talk about this when we finally have our interview. That, that was unbelievable fun. I mean, I know you, you love the Giants uh, and, and I, I, I'm a, a big fan. 
for, for, for a really long time. But that was, that was super cool. It was super fun. That's, that's, so, that's so awesome. And like we were saying before, this is the second time around that we were able to actually like get in front of, of microphones and start having this, this interview. The first time around when we did it, we were, I was you know, in my studio downstairs and you were in your car on the way over to NASCAR. And I believe that was your fourth NASCAR that you were doing? Yeah, yeah, I've done the races at Pocono the last couple of years. And so actually, how did, was that part of the whole networking thing? Like, or was there like a different venue that that comes from my days of being a part of the Army Athletics family? I mean, that that's that that's it in a nutshell, right there. It's I was when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, I was a volunteer intern at West Point, getting experience and building those relationships. And then one of the guys that worked in that office later on we all stay in touch with each other. Some of the, the full-timers are still there and have been there for many, many years. So we all stay in touch and we all, we see each other at conferences or conventions and we all, we, we keep those relationships uh, alive. We keep them, keep them burning. Mm-hmm. So I met a great guy who, who's sadly deceased, but young and way before his time, but he was part of the army athletics family. I was too. And when he uh, got out of college athletics and, and, started working at Pocono, he brought me on to be the announcer over there. And like I said, he's, uh, I'm indebted to him, just an unbelievable human being. So loved by every great sense of humor. And sadly, we lost him at the end of last hour, about this time last year, probably. And he, he just, we, we had that great relationship and he brought me over and then he's, like I said, he's, he's passed on, but the relationships that he helped me build over there brought me back this summer, even though he's gone from us. So Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a small example. So what was it like, like getting behind the mic for like your first NASCAR? Like, so that's NASCAR, like, NASCAR is kind of interesting because I'm I'm not a NASCAR expert by any means. It's not something that I'm naturally a fan of. I've gotten to know a little bit more about it since I got involved over there, but that's 160,000 people that are hearing your voice come through the speakers there. That that obviously there there can be some nerves involved there, but. Again, all the little, the St. Mary's Church First Friday readings led to Our Lady of Lords readings, led to Our Lady of Lords announcing, which led to Geneseo announcing, which led to uh, Maryland announcing, which led to St. John's announcing, which led to Madison Square Garden, Yankee Stadium, Giant Stadium, NASCAR Pocono. So if, if I was just some guy that does the readings in church, then maybe I wouldn't have been ready for 160,000 people. But all those little steps along the way, they, they make you ready. Yeah. Help you stay ready. Help you get ready. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's your training ground. That's, it's basically like what it's, what it's been for all those years. So, so take us over to like you, you, you're, you've done um, your work in Madison Square Garden. There's obviously MetLife and there's NASCAR, Yankee Stadium, like all these Barkley Center, everything you were talking about, like all these great venues, but then you got the middle of the boxing ring. Now that's a whole different type of animal that you're that you're that you're working with there. So t- tell us about like how you were able to kind of get going with that, and tell us about the that first time when you got to actually announce a fight. Well, I, so I, I just decided after having announced all these other things that I wanted to try boxing. I thought you're not entirely ugly, so maybe it would be okay if some people saw your face while you were announcing sometimes. Right. So, but there again, you have this, this goal 
or this dream that you want to be a boxing announcer or whatever. So mm-hmm. I, I had the benefit of having announced at Madison Square Garden, of having announced at Yankee Stadium. And so I had those things on my resume, but I started right back where anybody else would start in the amateurs. I went to my gym, Lisa's gym in Brooklyn, and I met with the owner and I said, hey, I want to be a boxing announcer. Do you guys have any amateur fights or any sparring coming up or anything like that where I can get myself on video and I can try to volunteer and do some stuff for free and maybe give you guys a little benefit and I get myself on tape so I can check myself out. I can practice my craft and I can hopefully use it to to help market myself and, and get some some pro gigs. Mm-hmm. So he gave me that opportunity. I did I did 17 amateur fights, USA Boxing Metro against a club team that came over from Ireland. And uh, that was my first taste of amateur boxing. And then from there, I was kind of addicted. I was kind of hooked from the beginning. So yeah. then through our television production side of things, I landed a gig at the baseball stadium that I announced at in Coney Island. Mm-hmm. We were going to do a show for ESPN3. And I said, as part of the deal, I have to be the ring announcer or your price goes up. So oh, nice. they wrote me in to do that. And then from there... I had been asked a year earlier if I had any interest in doing it at the garden. They basically said, like, you're a, you're a ham. We'd love to get you in to do, do that sort of thing. We think you'd really be into it. And there's not a whole lot of reliable people around here that do that sort of thing. So let's check it out. And I said, okay, no problem. So on fight week Tuesday, I'm at the men's warehouse. I didn't own a tuxedo at the time. And I'm trying to, like, four years ago, I'm trying to rent a tuxedo and I get, I hear my phone buzzing on the bench at the men's warehouse, literally in my underoos. And uh, it's, it's uh, my boss from Madison Square Garden. This is not Josephine from Staten Island. This is Sal. Sal says, hey, unfortunately, the promoter brought an undercard announcer with him. The, the main announcer was going to be Michael Buffer. This was Gennady Golovkin. Yeah. Uh, you know, just lost his world championship belts to Canelo. Gennady Golovkin against Daniel Giel. And Michael Buffer, I was like, oh, it's going to be so cool. I get to announce with Michael Buffer. Wear a tuxedo, stand in the middle of the ring, 22,000 fans, mm-hmm. HBO pay-per-view, undercards, not on pay-per-view, but yeah. I thought it was going to be so cool. So he goes, yeah, they brought in an undercard announcer. We don't need you anymore. So uh, I was literally fired in my underpants in the men's warehouse, changing room for the uh, sucks for the first, <laughs> first one. But Sal said, get yourself on tape and get back to me. And like the next time I'll put you forward for this. So oh. That's what I did. I went that next summer. I started announcing the amateurs, got myself on tape, used that in, in our TV production service to uh, get involved in that ESPN3 show, The Brooklyn Brawl, live from Coney Island. And then my second pro show was 22,000 seats, mostly empty, at Madison Square Garden at you know 6 o'clock for the early fights on Golovkin versus Dave. I did four fights there. I got to work with the Golden Boy team and with K2 Promotions, Triple G Promotions, and Tom Loeffler, who promotes Gennady Golovkin. And I get, I got to, got to meet those guys. Mm-hmm. And they said, wait, we don't know you. We've been at boxing a long time. And I said, well, I haven't. And they said, well, we think you're pretty good. How would you feel about coming to work for us a little bit? And I said, oh. I said, that, that would be great. Yeah. So, so instead of like emailing him every day and calling him and like whatever, I just, I figured my time would come and I figured I'd start searching for like some smaller jobs because. Not everybody gets to just go and start at Madison Square Garden. Obviously, that's a silly thing to assume or even hope for. Um, So I started and I said, I really want to know how the scoring goes. I want to know how, I want to know what happens so I can think about things. It's not just reading. 
So I volunteered to do the silver gloves, which are like little kids, like nine to 15, 16 year olds, maybe 18. I don't know. Like little kids, like before the golden gloves, there's the silver gloves. And I, all, I did 56 fights in Herkimer, New York for like a hundred dollars in two days in a hotel room. Oh man. And it was because it was 56 introductions, decisions, introductions, decisions, introductions, decisions. After that, it was like boot camp. I came out. I really knew how the scoring worked. I knew how how to read the judges. What's a split decision, unanimous decision, majority mm-hmm. decision, draw, split draw, majority draw, all the all the different things that the announcer has to know, and how to read the scores and how to preserve the drama. Michael Buffer says you gotta preserve the drama, but don't give it away before before you need to, so right. everybody gets to experience the who won or who lost at the at the same time. Don't give it away. Yeah. So I learned all those things. It was a good learning experience. And then a couple of weeks later, Golden Boy called me and hired me and brought me on again to do undercards for Michael Buffer, but to do the weigh-in and undercards. So that's way cool. you're putting fighters on the scale. You're introducing them, the main event guys, the HBO guys, the pay-per-view guys included. You're asking them a couple interview questions, you know, for the media in attendance and for the, for the live stream of the weigh-in. So you're, that's, that to me is, that's harder stuff doing handling that stuff. And right. it's not as, not as cookie cutter as the, the actual fight intros, although the fights themselves are obviously, that's, that's the show. That's what everybody wants to see. Yeah. So yeah. So doing that stuff and, and, and it got to be cool. And like I said, I was hooked from, I was hooked from the beginning and it was all I could do to get more boxing gigs. And I've been very fortunate three, three years and change now in boxing to, to have done a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, which, which, which I've been lucky. I've been lucky. But yeah. part of that luck is again, you got to dial it way back. St. Mary's to Lords to Geneseo to Army to Maryland to St. John's to the Garden to Yankee Stadium to Giant Stadium to Pocono. That all that stuff helped me be ready to to be able to get in there and and do that and try to advance, do as well as I could, as fast mm-hmm. as I could, and and advance as quickly as I could as well. Yeah. If you're if you're starting from zero. It's a lot harder. If you're starting from somewhere, it's a little bit easier. So, um, so keeping that in mind, for our listeners that are out there, and I hope there are many, the if they are just kind of like getting their feet wet in this sort of venue, obviously they can't go all the way back to you know their grade school time and then try to enroll into a Catholic school and work work their yeah. way up that way. But not to say that there is any sort of like shortcut or anything like that, because that's not what we're that's not what we're pushing. That's not, that's definitely not what you're condoning. But for anyone who, if you, you know, kind of hear their voice and just say that like, Hey, that might be along the lines of what this sport or that sport or this particular, you know, location or anything would be looking for. What do you have as like a, as a, as a tip and everything to say to that person? So everybody that's, uh, so I, I do so much production. It's almost silly to even use this word, but Anybody that's talent needs to have a reel. So you got to do what you can do to develop that reel and build that, build that reel up. So the way that that happens is you have to go to a place that you can where during a time where you're able to volunteer and get mm-hmm. experience, hone your craft, sharpen your tools and yeah. get yourself on tape. And, and that's, that's how you start your reel. And then as you, you know, get more experience, and continue to progress and hopefully start earning some small paychecks, which lead to mediums, which lead to mediums, which lead to bigger ones. Right. Um, you're improving your reel as you go. You're improving your tape as you go. So that's, that's what you got to do. And, and there's a, there's a bell curve 
as well. Someday they'll tell me, just like when I was a player, okay, listen, you're 75, God willing, you're 76, you're 72, you're 80 or whatever, and you're, it's time for you to, you know, kind of step down and let somebody else take a chance. Right. I'll go back. I tell Kristen all the time, like when I'm an old man, I'll play some golf and, and I'll go announce at the local high schools or whatever, just like I did when I was in high school. Yeah. So, so if you're somebody that wants to be an announcer, there's a lot of different games. Even if you're somebody that wants to be a broadcaster, a lot of people call me and ask how to become a broadcaster, like an on-air talent. There's yeah. more games now in high school and college that are being streamed than ever before. So sometimes that results in lower budgets and lower paychecks, but there definitely well, results in more, more, more opportunities. Yeah. So you got to go out there, find a place where you can get in and where you can volunteer, whether it's a local high school, call the high school athletic director, whether it's a JUCO or a division three school or a division two school, call the sports information director at those schools. See if you can volunteer a little bit and get started. And if you can't do football or basketball, you can do volleyball or field hockey or something like that. And yeah, get yourself going that way. Get yourself on tape, get yourself a reel and, and try to keep on. That's, that's your first step. And then, then keep on try to try to keep climbing, try to go to a bigger school or try to go to a bigger sport or a better attended sport or something that's on TV or on, on a better stream with a bigger audience or, you know, eventually a better network. And you keep moving up and up and up and up and up until you're Jim Lampley or until you're Al Michaels <laughs> or until you're Michael Kay, Bob Shepard or Michael Alceski for the Knicks or mm-hmm. Gordon at the Giants. Yeah. Keep going and, and keep doing it that way. You got to keep getting yourself on tape over and over and over again. Getting your, having a reel as a, a broadcaster or as an announcer, it's kind of like freshman biology class for pre-meds, right? Yeah. Like they have you in that freshman biology class, you're in a big lecture hall with 400 other people and they're trying to see if you can hack it, if you can make it. They want to weed you out, eliminate the first you know, 300 people out of that 400. So if you're like, hey, I want to be a broadcaster. I got a great voice. I really love sports. Hey, can you send me your reel? Well, I don't have a reel. Well, you're a hobbyist then. You're an amateur. Yeah. All right. You're not a professional. You're automatically disqualified. Oh. Get off my lawn. Right. You know, they're just, they're trying to weed, weed you out at that point because there's, there's a lot of people that turns out a lot of people want to be sportscasters. So that's, yeah. And, and, and people just aren't like, they're either not serious about it or they just don't know like what, what steps to take. So I really hope that 50 people actually get it done out of 400. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> So, so we're just about to time to wrap up. So is there anything that you would like to plug since, uh, just remember this is going out on October 9th. So anything that's happening after that, that's going on. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you there's, there's always stuff happening. You can follow me at Mark Fratto on Instagram and you can follow Lineker Media on Facebook or, or Instagram or Twitter to find out what the latest goings on are in my company. I, I'll say, the being a being a business owner, the, my favorite part, and we didn't really touch on, we talked a lot about announcing, which is one aspect of what we do. Like I said, there's the live event production for TV and streaming. There's the, the PR and marketing stuff that we do and the voiceover stuff. But my favorite day was is is having and in having this company for four years is payroll day. And mm-hmm. I tell my dad, who's an entrepreneur, that all the time. He thinks I'm a little crazy. I tell my wife that as well because on payroll day, that means that we're sending out checks to people to help build. Our company helped us run events, helped us produce events, yeah. and of course, we're making a profit and keeping some of the money to use for to pay for our lives and of pay tax, yeah. stuff like that. But we're also like we're employing people. You know, we we're employing ten people, we're employing twenty people. We're one day, a couple days, we've employed like in the seventies, wow. doing three or four different events in 
in different cities and at different times and different time zones on different platforms. And that's, that's the best thing for me about being, being a, a real life custodian, janitor, CEO, whatever you want to call it is, is that we get to bring so many people. And a lot of them are young people. We get to give them their first chance. We get to give them their, their first opportunity to earn a check or, or, or at least earn a check in something that they're passionate, something that they love. I got a funny, I think it was slightly drunken text from one of our former production assistants in the, the mid Atlantic area who was working for us in the NBA G League with the Delaware 87ers, the Sixers affiliate, and went on and, and now has an Eagles Super Bowl ring because he was on the video staff last year. You know, and it was a really heartfelt, if not slightly inebriated text that was like, thank you for giving us, giving all of us young guys, and especially me, an opportunity, like the first opportunity for consistent. The checks weren't huge and it wasn't a full-time job, but it was the first opportunity for, for me to really develop for me to really have responsibility, for me to understand what it takes to work as part of a team in this sort of setting. And now we got our rings tonight and I just want to let you, and I took a look at it and I, I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was a pretty awesome text. So that's my favorite part about being a business owner. The TV aspect is, is awesome because of that, that same spirit of teamwork that you learn when you're in Little League extends to these live events today when we're all doing TV production on events where I'm announcing or not. So it's a, that's a cool thing. That's, that's one aspect that we didn't really get to touch on. Glad you gave me a chance to. But, you know, at, at the same time, like I, like this, this show, I intend to keep the show going. So would love to have you back on in the future so we can talk about that, that element of it. Because I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of people that are going to be, that are going to be just as enthralled with this interview as I have been and will want to hear more about what Lynn Acre Media does, all the, great bells and whistles that go into it and everything and and the just the amazing you know job that you've been doing so far so i say this to i say this to my to my listeners i really hope that you got as much out of this out of this discussion as i did by all means listen to those mentors that are pointing you in this particular direction they know what they're talking about and obviously you want to listen to your passion you want to listen to your heart but at the same time you want to be prepared to do all of these great steps over and over and over again, you'll have to deal with a whole lot of pitfalls and a lot of set, a lot of setbacks and a lot of successes, a lot of failures and everything, but you just got to keep going. That's what Mark is doing. That's what I hope all of you are doing with your passions. Like I said, it was a true pleasure getting back in touch with Mark and getting his whole history as a voice artist, public announcer. He's done so much already, and I'm just so thrilled with him. Uh, since our conversation, Mark has gone on to work a lot more with the NCAA as part of the Final Four. Uh, since 2019, he has been the public address announcer for the Washington Wizards. That's right. Now he's working with the NBA and there really is just no stopping him. Uh, I am really looking forward to seeing what else he's got in store for all of us. And I just wish him nothing but the best. Um, it's great to, to reconnect with him. It's great to have this conversation with him. And I am just really excited for what's to come in the future. So next week, you'll be hearing the conversation that I had with USA Today bestselling authors, Michelle Lynn and Michelle Bryan. This was recorded over at uh, at PenCon in St. Louis. Uh, so it was my first in-person interview. And that was a lot of fun as well. So there's a lot more to come for Excelsior Journeys, The First Steps. 
And until next week, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.